Hello, and welcome to our 20th podcast, Interactions Between Risks, Implications for Building Scenarios. My name is Dave Ingram, and as always, I'm joined by Max Rudolph. Thank you for joining our Crossing Thin Ice podcast presented by Actuarial Risk Management. We hope you also check out our free quarterly newsletter and webinar. And lest I forget, let me mention that nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. We are here to educate and perhaps entertain. We keep talking about scenarios. In today's podcast, Max will be explaining one more reason that you should be thinking about adding scenario testing to your risk assessment toolkit. That reason is the potential to use scenarios to help you think through the potential impact of multiple simultaneous adverse events. In addition, Max provides three examples of multiple event scenarios that do a good job of showing the immense power of this technique. Let's get started. Modelers historically have focused on one assumption at a time. Interest rates, claims, defaults, and expenses are all important, but other risks also play a part in narrative scenarios that describe where the world may be heading. These include environmental, like climate and seismic, technological, for example, artificial intelligence and grid connectivity, geopolitical, like wars and globalization, societal, pandemics, demographics, and, and economic, for example, volatility or ramifications from chaos within a country. A company also has operational risks that have financial implications. Qualitatively assessing combinations of these risks will lead back to quantitative financial scenarios. Statisticians talk about correlations, and threat multipliers like climate change and war consider interactions between multiple risks. For example, climate change makes fresh water more scarce and thus more valuable. This leads to regional conflicts to control water and other resources, reducing GDP and demand with potentially lower real interest rates or accelerating inflation higher claims, and lower fertility. The idea is to be creative. What could go wrong, and how would that impact a specific block of business? Statutory accounting assumes that policyholders take advantage of options when it is in their best interest. For example, surrenders are typically the worst case for an insurer, but not always. This is useful information for a company to know. What follows are three examples to demonstrate the concept. First, let's review a geopolitical scenario, a Taiwan invasion. Scenarios are meant to be a learning experience to develop tactics, not a prediction. This one is interesting as it highlights geopolitical concerns that cross over into other risk categories. In the narrative scenario, Taiwan is threatened, then invaded by its neighbor China. China is concerned that it could be blockaded from ocean access for purposes of trade or defense. China utilizes cyber warfare, along with air and navy. China is demographically challenged and has a high youth unemployment rate. It has allied with, with countries that can provide their oil needs. Taiwan's allies come to its aid, despite a growing isolationist movement in the United States, but stocks of weapons have been depleted from the war in Ukraine. The battle stalemates after Taiwan's semiconductor industry is destroyed, leaving the country a shell of its former self and both China and Taiwan in a deep recession. How does that convert into financial assumptions? The initial concern for insurers is the impact on interest rates and yields. 
Global economic growth would adjust, but initially is likely to fall, with lower earnings and disinflation and potential deflation. In infrastructure would be damaged, including undersea communications and satellites. Naval warships seem especially vulnerable. The Ukraine war has demonstrated how war is a high-stakes game of evolution, with each side continuously reacting to tactical changes by opponents. How will this impact sales and renewals as pricing becomes volatile? How will the economy adjust to a lack of microchips? Each insurer will be unique. Some things to watch out for include, do you have concentrated positions in certain asset classes, regional exposures, similar maturity dates or liquidity concerns? Is the continental U.S. at risk of a direct attack? Next up is a financial scenario about low interest rates. The narrative scenario is in early 2022, the Fed had driven interest rates very low, but their own stress test did not consider what would happen if they returned to typical levels. Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, was susceptible to this scenario due to a combination of deposits above FDIC limits and a recent influx of funds and investments made during this period of low rates, but did little to mitigate the risk. Be sure to learn from the lesson of the banks. What assumptions are being modeled based on historical data rather than specific options granted to customers, in this case, surrender? Don't count on a bailout. Regarding the financial assumptions, regulatory life insurance rules require dynamic lapse assumptions interacting with interest rate changes. For all insurers, one stress test should always be to assume no diversification benefit, so 100% correlation. Another would look at developing assumptions from first principles to see if something that's always been done this way should be updated due to the current environment. What should you watch out for? SVB and other California banks had the unique circumstances that funding for venture capital type firms had been plentiful during the period of low interest rates. Banks were eager to put the money to work but ignored the unique risks they had accepted. Namely, the deposits could be withdrawn at any time without penalty, and the corporations had left large amounts on deposit, well beyond the guarantee set by the FDIC. Each situation is unique, and cookie-cutter solutions should be viewed with skepticism. Our last scenario looks at climate change and the implications for infrastructure. Infrastructure developed during a period of globalization is very susceptible when the process is unwound and co conflicts replace open trade borders, risk increases. A warmer planet drives extreme weather events that damage infrastructure and adaptation requirements, for example, to keep out higher sea levels. Uh, and these build new, so they build new infrastructure. Demographic reductions in fertility and migration concentrates the price on fewer taxpayers. In the narrative scenario, Money spent on infrastructure means those funds are not available for socially beneficial projects tied to health and education, reducing levels of economic growth. Socioeconomic inequality and food insecurity become strained, leading to disinflation and stress claims. For financial assumptions, growth is likely to slow. Investment yields may increase, but only because defaults, liquidity, and other risks have increased as well. The market often reflects these higher yields before historical data confirms their accuracy. Here's some things to watch out for. Greenhouse gas levels, sea level rise, and demographics are impossible to control by any one group, so modelers should consider a variety of potential outcomes as the IPCC scenarios do. 
Looking across scenarios, it's important that experience is stable over the pricing time horizon. A product like health or auto insurance has very short-term cash flows since it is repriced each year, while a structured settlement or policy-backing asbestos claims may have a lifetime of a half century or longer. The additional uncertainty needs to be considered when pricing the product. Risks like climate change and demographics destabilize assumptions over many years, often in surprising ways as risks interact. The maximum pricing time horizon is driven by liabilities if the portfolio is closely matched from an ALM perspective. Products may need to be redesigned with shorter guarantees if insurers want to avoid reliving previous long-term care experience with products tied to behaviors and interest rates that were unstable over periods uh, covering long time horizon guarantees. The world is changing at a quickening pace. Products should be reviewed if they are no longer sustainable over their pricing time horizon. Modelers need to go beyond interest rate and inflation scenarios when building the stories behind narrative scenarios, then convert likely outcomes back to quantitative model assumptions to aid tactical and strategic planning efforts. Before we move on to part two of today's podcast, we want to tell you about ARM's ERM Advisory Services. Our ERM Advisory Team, led by Max Rudolph and myself, Dave Ingram, are available to provide a wide range of support to your enterprise risk management program. Here's an example of some of our recent work in the area of ERM training and education. The new Strategies and Risk Solutions for Executives series of newsletters, webcasts, and podcasts that you are listening to right now is our latest offering. A full range of additional ERM topics are also available for presentation in person, live via webcast, or delivered as a recording for your general staff education on ERM for advancing training for risk management staff, or to provide background on risk management. For example, we have offered a general webinar for board members and executives to provide them with an overview of ERM, as well as a deeper dive into uh, the current risk concerns and risk management practices in the insurance industry. We are now working with several companies to create a bespoke version of these webcasts to allow us to tell their board about ERM with a focus on exactly what they are doing. We're happy to, to discuss your situation and how we might provide you with the help that you need to move forward, drawn from our decades of experience working with insurer ERM programs. Let, let's let's talk about uh, some possible interactions. Uh, let's look at climate change. That leads to an increasing number of events that, that damage infrastructure. Uh, what are some recent drivers of, of this risk? Well, a couple of, of events come to mind, Dave. Uh, an El Nino event generates exceptional warming and impacts rainfall in either direction, depending on location. The first one I remember was the strong occurrence in 1997. Uh, but they happen every two to five years, and, and we're entering what is expected to be a strong event here in 2023. The 2016 event was actually the driver behind the Australian wildfires that we all remember. These extreme events destroy infrastructure and create problems going forward. And, and like I say, every two to five years, you have, have uh, another cycle. Um, we've let much of our infrastructure get old. Uh, which also increases the risk of damage. 
but there's also interaction with with building codes that have improved and, and protect future infrastructure. Another recent event I'm monitoring is the eruption of a, an undersea volcano in Tonga that released sulfur and water vapor into the atmosphere. This blocks sunlight, so reduces the effects of, of greenhouse gases temporarily, mimicking some of the geoengineering techniques that are, are being developed. And this result could create a moral hazard. That's the concern that I have with, with some acting as if the effect is permanent rather than only temporary. It really only lasts a year or two. And this could lead to additional usage of fossil fuels and release of, of greenhouse gases, which, which would be a problem. Well, that's interesting. So you're saying the eruption of the volcano could cause people to justify that there's less warming going on. Right, right. Because we saw that. We saw that big time in 1997, where the, the couple of years right after that were lower than the El Nino year in terms of temperature. And so the deniers were out there saying, oh, we're in a cooling period where we really weren't. Really, what you need to do is look at the El Nino years separately from the other years. And, and La Nina is the other one that has cooler temperatures and look at those all together. And, and both, if you do that, there's a, a very definite upward trend. So what's a risk that we're ignoring now that that actually is in, in clear sight? Yeah, one one that I've been dealing with here recently in, in some other work is is demographics. Demographics is is known in advance, but but moves slowly. So so is ignored by many and, and most over the short term. The U United Nations created a model uh, a few years back that, that builds out population by country through 2100, which is really good. Um, and its assumptions can be scrutinized and certainly debated. But the result is that fertility rates and the role of immigration become become obvious. They're they're the key drivers. Uh, and these interact interact with assumptions for GDP, for gross domestic product, for assumptions for the climate, for resource extraction, uh, all this allowing scenarios to create these scenarios dealing with economic growth, regional conflict and changes to the environment. Western powers and, and China are going to have to rely on immigrants to, to maintain population levels and climate refugees are, are going to need somewhere to live. Uh, if only we can coexist, then, then there's a happy ending for everybody. Looking at, at other risks as well, Dave, you, you live in, in New York. One risk that plays out there and seems to be a, a leading indicator for the nation is office real estate. How, how are you seeing that play out? In New York, the real estate market, the office real estate market has gone up and down a number of times. So people that are in that business have their strategy. I mean, that's not to say it's not bad. It's, it's horrible in, in New York. Recently, they talked about office vacancies as high as 50%. So it, 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 it's just unbelievable. They are talking about changing uh, zoning rules, about converting office space to the living quarters, because there is in New York, like a lot of other, other places, a, a housing crisis. There's not enough housing for, for people and certainly not enough affordable housing. But uh, there's a practical limit to that, which is that, that most housing has windows in most rooms and, and, and an awful lot of office space are, are spaces that are that are pretty big. Uh, you know, I, I've definitely worked in offices where half the floor you couldn't see a window from 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 where you were. Mm -hmm. 
so you're only talking about the smaller buildings that might be converted uh, into living space, although they're talking uh, about uh, possibly converting a, a good segment of, of one famous building in New York in, into living space. And I think that one will be a home run. But And, and I guess the, the real problem is with uh, the older medium class of, of real estate, uh, the, the new modern buildings, the occupancy rate is is not that bad. It, it, it's you know it's worse than the best of times, but it's it's at a, at a, a, a livable level. It, it's the older spaces that are almost unrentable right now, and and so that that's that's going to be the issue to figure out is is what what happens to those old spaces. Uh, you know, the owners that can afford it are upgrading them as quickly as they can. But uh, that that's part of the give and take of a, of a big city uh, to some extent. Uh, New York's got a couple of other problems going on. So watch this space. Max, when we look at this, these interactions of risk, uh, what risks interact in ways that uh, impact insurers? Well, there's there's lots of choices out there, but let's let's look on the asset side of the balance sheet at, at floating rate debt incurred by what are called zombie companies that, that struggle to, to meet interest payments as rates rise. Zombie company can be thought of as one that was able to service the debt at low interest rates, but becomes overwhelmed at, at the current levels. So an insurer that owns this debt, if they're only looking at one assumption at a time, they'll expect higher investment earnings as, as the rates go up but often forgets to offset that with the inevitable higher defaults uh, since much of this debt has, has really low credit ratings. They essentially have floating rate because they weren't a high enough level of credit quality to be able to access a, a fixed rate. You're always talking about narrative scenarios, Max. One, one, one example of narrative scenarios are the IPCC scenarios. Can, can you um, describe how a, a financial modeler might use them? And, but first, tell us what they are. Yeah, the, the IPCC scenario is the intergovernmental um, climate change scenarios. They model greenhouse gas emissions. So they, they aren't even financial scenarios to start out with. Um, but they go across a, a set of assumptions that vary from uh, runaway greenhouse gas use to to a slowing of fossil fuel emissions that allows temperatures to to stabilize and and not increase. You know the narrative scenarios are then built. These are called socioeconomic pathways or SSPs, uh, and these reverse engineer these results and and incorporate things like GDP growth and funding for things like education and and healthcare. And then from here, the modeler generally needs to align you know, their interest rate, equity, claim, and expense assumptions, and, and decide how complex to make the model. For example, under a high emission scenario, I'm, I might initially assume a momentum trend for mortality and morbidity claims and higher property claims. But as the model matures, this might get more complex and vary by age and location with lower interest rates and, and higher defaults. The key with narrative scenarios is to develop a, a cohesive and holistic scenario that incorporates interactions between all these assumptions. If, if I look at narrative scenarios, whether it be one based on, for instance, a war in Taiwan or low interest rates or infrastructure, we seem to be facing a discontinuity. 
in things uh, if it occurs. Uh, can't we just take care of this in stochastic simulations? Yeah, this is really the, the benefit of a deterministic scenario. A, a stochastic simulation that includes multiple assumptions can get complex very quickly with and, and the runtime gets really long. A narrative scenario, which is deterministic, allows you to tell a story to your stakeholders. And typically, they won't be able to follow your lecture on complex adaptive systems, but they probably can follow a qualitative story that talks about the interaction between sea level rise and higher claim costs that lead to, to higher premiums for property insurance to be sustainable. I mean, that, that's pretty easy to follow. This also helps you avoid falling in love with a result that goes out to, to eight decimal places, which I see that a lot and, and, and see it as a, as a major issue that, that is not good by any means. When you're ready to look beyond the thousands of calculations that a stochastic model provides and focus in on getting a few specific answers that can be easily communicated, look to multi-risk narrative scenarios. You can easily see how valuable an exercise this could be from the examples that Max has provided here. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Crossing Thin Ice, presented by Actuarial Risk Management. If you found it valuable, please share with others, like, and subscribe.